Hello, I'm Dr. Judy Puddyfoot, a veterinary surgeon from the UK, and this is the Underdog Vet Podcast, home of the Animal Advocate interviews. Join me as I chat to some truly inspiring people who have dedicated their lives to improving the health and welfare of animals around the world. My guests include a variety of people from vets and campaigners to those who have founded or work for animal charities. But one thing they all have in common with you and I is that they're passionate animal advocates. Dotted in between episodes, I'll throw in some pause for thought, where I talk to you about my personal take on subjects inspired by my work as a vet. Hit subscribe to get notified about new releases. Details on how you can get in touch are at the end of this episode, and I hope you enjoy this latest instalment. Thank you so much for listening. Welcome to this episode of the Underdog Vet Podcast. In this episode's Animal Advocate interview, I spoke with Dr. Megan Vaught, a vet from the Maine Veterinary Medical Center in Maine on the East Coast of America. Megan is a critical care specialist and one of the medical directors at the hospital. She was the lead vet on a particularly upsetting case back in June 2022. Megan and I discussed the details of the case, its coverage in local media and the subsequent repercussions of that coverage. We then moved on to talk more generally about the impacts on vet staff, team morale and the importance of teamwork. And finally, we spoke about how pet owners can be best prepared for unexpected veterinary bills. Megan Bort, thank you so much for giving up some of your time and coming on to the podcast. I really appreciate that. And just for everyone listening, just a heads up that Megan is joining us live from the vet practice where she works. So if there are any odd noises like tannoys or announcements or dogs or cats, then, well, that's because she's just committed to work and doing this podcast at the same time. I thought we would start by letting you introduce yourself and let listeners know who you are and what it is that you do. Sure. Thank you. I'm Megan Vaught. I'm one of the critical care specialists here at Maine Veterinary Medical Center. I did my internship and residency at Tufts University, and I've been in Maine for almost five years, which has been a great move kind of post-residency in my first job. One of the specialists for emergency and critical care. So really taking care of the sickest of the sick and trying to figure out the minor details and make make those changes quickly while supporting the rest of the hospital and those those other specialties and patients that are having other things done. And I'm also one of the medical directors here at the hospital as well and overseeing the flow of the ICU and making sure that we can get all of those little critters taken care of the best that we can. That is one heck of a responsibility. I do not envy you on that front. Yeah, it can be a wild ride for sure, but it's good. Now, I first got in contact with you, well, your vet practice, really. I didn't obviously know you were one of the medical directors. I didn't, I'd never heard of you, but my God, had I heard of Maine Veterinary Medical Centre. And I got in touch with the medical centre because I wanted to give my support to the practice and the staff in the wake of a particularly nasty incident that occurred back in May 2022, just over a year ago now. Could you perhaps give us an overview of what that incident was? Yeah, of course. Yeah, so a little over a year ago, my it was my case. So it was great to hear from you and get the note from all the way across the world. So it's wonderful. Thank you. Um, but we did have a situation with a young dog that was specifically very acutely ill for kind of 12 to 24 hours, did a general workup for abdominal pain and vomiting, found that the dog unfortunately had a penetrating skewer foreign body, leaving the stomach and the intestines and penetrating part of the liver. So needed emergency surgery very, very quickly. Unfortunately, that was not an option for the family and they were ready to euthanize. Um, and as all, it breaks all of our hearts every single day, 
know, we truly want to support the family as well as the patient in what what is best for them as a whole. We did have a rescue that was reaching out as well that was willing to resume care and financial responsibility to provide this puppy the next chapter, you know, be able to give him the care that he needed so that he could have that recovery and then resume a normal, healthy, slightly naughty life. Um, And so thankfully that was the option and we could provide that to the family who was in the moment very thankful that they weren't going to have to make the decision that they were planning to make. And then that kind of got tipped over as the world found out everything seemed to go just fine and paperwork was signed and we moved forward with the care and and support that the dog needed. And unfortunately, by the next day, they had gone to a local news source, which had unfortunately a very one-sided story with limited information, which seemed to then spark lots of next steps and Uh, engagement and phone calls and social media trolling and all sorts of things over the next several days. Obviously, you know, appreciate that was a a very succinct and brief summary of what must have been a horrendous 24 to 48 hours for you being the vet in charge of the case. But but not just you, but the practice as a whole, from everyone at reception who's fielding the phone calls from the owner initially through to, you know, the techs and the staff and the nurses looking after that little dog, having to watch it before you knew whether you could do surgery or not. Are you going to be able to save it, give it a chance or not? So it's important, I think, to state here with such a brief summary of like that, that it's easy to underestimate actually the detail of what happened in those 12, 24 hours leading up to this horrendous abuse that your practice got for this. So the dog, which was a young, as you say, puppy, German Shepherd, came in with abdominal pain, vomiting, and eventually through diagnostic tests, you found out that it had a like a barbecue cocktail skewer, which had popped through its intestines and was now popping in nicely into its liver. Now, you don't need to be a vet to know that that needs emergency surgery. And you also don't need to be a vet to know that emergency surgery doesn't cost five cents. It's quite expensive it, and, and it needs to, and it's very time sensitive. The word emergency kind of gives that away. So these decisions, unfortunately, have to be made in relatively short amount of time to give the dog the best chance of survival. And it's easy to sometimes read these stories in the the press and think, well, why didn't the owner just go ahead or why didn't the vets just go ahead? But there has to be very subtle communication between the practice and the owner. And as you've alluded to, there were financial issues. I know from my experience, having dealt with these situations, that you have to be very careful in your communication. So talk us through what some of the communication with the owner was about. the. There must have been some backwards and forwards about this. It wasn't just a wham, bam, we can't do surgery, off it goes to rescue. So give us some of the detail about how that day unfolded. Yeah, exactly. So right after rounds, you know, I received the case as a transfer, went through my physical exam, and then we started with an emergency ultrasound, which gave us the information. The hard part, too, is like you said, there is some urgency because unfortunately that skewer also is like as it's traveling kind of through the liver, next comes the diaphragm and the chest. And there was a little bit of indication of an early amount of free fluid or pleural effusion into the chest. And so we could be really going into some major double cavity trauma and life-threatening injuries pretty quickly. Thankfully, he was relatively stable, but painful and did have a fever and those sorts of things. So medically managing that all along. And specifically to your question, you know, we did spend the entire day talking to the family. So the dog didn't go to surgery that morning. He didn't have surgery until the almost 6.30, 7 o'clock at night because I spent the entire day on the phone with this family, working with them, giving them every option that we can because that's my goal too, right? As veterinarians, we're a lot of people go to school because they want to help pets, but we really have to help the people. We're here for them as well to be a part of their team and their family in, in whatever way we can. And so that to me is also really important to remember. But, you know, there was the initial conversation about these are, this is the significance. These are the injuries. This is the next steps in our recommendations. 
this is what we're probably looking at from a recovery standpoint and possible complications to then several phone calls regarding different financial options that they were trying to kind of just initially talk about the medical stuff. And then they were trying to sort out how they could manage those pieces, different financing options, at least available here, care credit, Wells Fargo, you know, different types of personal things that their family was looking at. They unfortunately did not have pet insurance. And so we did spend the majority of the day, if not the whole day, while trying to manage other cases, right? You know, those things never end. Like you said, doorbells go off and everything is happening all around us. And so Amongst that, you know, getting on the phone almost every hour to kind of provide them medical updates, how this dog is doing, as well as giving them the options and really trying to work both with the medical and the surgical team of how can we do this? How can we get it to be as reachable as possible? And at the end of the day, unfortunately, then get the phone call that they've, as a family, made a decision that they're going to to let the dog be at peace and put him down. And kind of in that exact same moment, I then was pulled by someone who works with a with a rescue that had said there might be an option. Would this be something that they would be open to? And not everyone is totally understandable. So I did ask them that they spoke as a family again, and then they did elect to move forward with with the rescue option. When you say the rescue option, you mean that there was a rescue organization that was willing to pay for the surgery that this dog needed and then take on the the aftercare and rehome that dog. And so really getting the dog, what we call signed over to you as a practice or directly to an organization and, and the owners, I mean, if they've tried every option, they've tried loans, they've tried payment plans, they've tried everything. And it's unfortunate because we deal with these decisions almost on daily basis as vets. And it's, it's not what we come into this profession for. We're not financial people. We don't do this for the money. And we certainly don't, you know, have the wherewithal to discuss financial options. You know, luckily, big practices might have a finance department that can deal with that. But a lot of the time, it's you and I left in the consult room or on the telephone to speak to these guys and be that go between and try and work out, like you said, how can we make this affordable? How can we make this reachable? Because everybody wants the best conclusion for everybody. But they went through all those options. Unfortunately, none of those options were viable. And so they did willingly then agree. I mean, reluctantly, obviously, but did in the end come to the conclusion that unfortunately the best option for their puppy was going to be to sign it over to a rescue organization. And and they were on board with this. They signed paperwork, presumably. Yes, exactly. They, They were. And, you know, one of the last things that she said to me was, if you can provide him a future life and a happy life that's all I want for him and that's great to say that and actually even when people say that perhaps sometimes they don't even understand how difficult that's going to be to really live that live by those words because it's very difficult you know you've had this puppy you've bonded with it you love it and you're never going to see it again that's very hard but you know props to her for saying that really Yeah. And I think that that then to me as the person that then lived through chapter two was it was very challenging because I did what I, what she asked me to do. You know, I, we did have that last option that we weren't going to be able, we were never going to be able to undo a euthanasia, unfortunately, as much as all of us wish we had that power to make everything better and to fix all of those problems. Right. And so this did come, fell in the lap and was an opportunity to give her what she wanted. And for this poor family, my heart broke for them all day. And then we were able to provide his his care and give him the life-saving procedure that he needed to have done and that he could resume his crazy life that he was meant to have. And so it is hard to then have that flip so quickly with that mindset initially to then what the next several days unfolded and that's the difficult thing isn't it the emotional roller coaster that you and and your colleagues must have been on and obviously the owners on that day just waiting for the next phone call which direction is this going to go in I can't and then like you said you've still got a full board of patients you've got to look after or go and do consults or or whatever how on earth did you get through that day? 
Yeah, I'm not sure. And I guess I would say that I thought that was going to be the worst of it. (laughs) The next several days of the week were definitely harder from a different aspect. But, you know, it is a challenge. And I and you have talked about it on other episodes. You know, it is a challenge of veterinary medicine to find that balance, to find the ability to get through the things that are never ending. And those kind of turn it on for one patient, something really sad and go to the next. And how do you kind of work through those, those pieces, especially in emergency medicine, you never know what's going to happen or come through the door, which is why some of us crazy people really like it. But it is a challenge to kind of get through it. I do think that the team rallied really well together. And the good part is that they are kind of, we're good at those pieces. We're, we're good at supporting the individuals and working through the medicine and providing them the very best care that we can through each of those hurdles and focusing on the patient while we're trying to sort out the other details in the background. So I think that that part flowed very nicely. We really truly saw the teamwork and the rallying behind one another in the days that we didn't know was coming quite yet. But that day, you know, was exhausting. You certainly spend the spend the day kind of like, I hate to bother you again. I just wanted to check in and let you know how he's feeling and you know what can I do to to help you through this process. And you also don't want to be a burden on them. They're going through something heartbreaking at the same time. You alluded there and and previously to, like you said, (laughs) chapter two, the days that were to come that you had no idea how this was going to pivot. You were contacted at the time by a a local journalist. And as is the professional thing to do, the practice didn't speak out. And that resulted in a very biased news report about the whole incident being published. Do you feel that was the inciting reason for the avalanche of abuse that your practice received? I think so. And I think it's hard. You know, our marketing team and our communication director really was one of the main reasons why I think myself, I can only speak for myself, kind of got through this was just the support from them as well as from the whole world, which I, again, very much appreciate for all, all, including you reaching out. It is a challenge. And I think that you don't want to necessarily stir more things or kind of meet it with the same tone because it's not going to help anything. And so initially, you know, not providing a comment, you hope certainly then we're going to be objective about it and have that information. And sure, we can spread awareness about a situation of finances in veterinary medicine or the challenge for this family, but to specifically go about it the way that we did And then also kind of rebooting it after our comment and our story, which was essentially my my medical record, was released. There really wasn't a change to that storyline. And I think the hard part, too, is that to no fault of theirs, you know, what is the goal with these stories? You know, and is it to, to gather the attention and to rally people for whichever way it may go or are we trying to to have growth and and support from a humanity from the world and from a community i think that's an important question what is the objective of very biased and negative towards the veterinary industry and professionals report what is their objective with that it could have been much more positive as you said raising awareness of all the issues surrounding it perhaps they didn't want to do any actual research maybe I was being nice by saying they were journalists maybe they weren't actually journalists I believe that off the back of all this your practice and your staff got some really severe dangerous threats of some really quite violent threats can you perhaps tell us about some of those yeah the night that it hit the newscast our team started getting floods of phone calls which probably you know, maybe was in the hundreds and you would think that this is going to kind of rally out and it'll be okay. We're really rallying together. The next day, we had almost 3,000 phone calls in one afternoon. I've never seen such a group commitment to support one another than this hospital and this team. The entire staff other than who is immediately taking care of patients, because that's still happening, we're still seeing new cases, was in our front lobby answering phones. Everyone was there. And, you know, we did have to figure out more creative ways to have patients because we were still curbside with COVID at the time. And so finding creative ways for people to tell us 
that they're here with a patient because they couldn't get through the phone. They couldn't call us and say, hey, I'm in spot three. My dog needs to be seen or I have an appointment because our phones were 100% jammed up. To receive that many phone calls just from an abusive standpoint, you know, aggression, threats, to be specific, and I'm not sure how people know these things, but the internet is an interesting place that happens. You know, we ended up having to have police presence here on the property because someone was going to come and run my daughter over with a car, or they were going to set the building on fire or whatnot. And this is, unfortunately, a scary world that we live in a lot of times. Let's be humans and be people and support one another, which I think has been one of my bigger things now is that we need to remember that we're all people, you know? Yes, you're a veterinarian. Yes, you're providing medical care, but you're a daughter, you're a mother, you're a wife, you're a friend, you're a person. And we're here to support one another and to be on each other's team. I think that's really important to remember. And, and it's something I try on social media and things like that. I'm very much about the well-being and, and you know, mental health of, of vets and the veterinary professionals, etc. Right from receptionists, you know, through to, to management and everyone in between. But particularly the staff that are on the front line, because I think they do get the brunt of the abuse. But 3,000 phone calls in an afternoon and death threats and threats to burn the practice. I I can see how in the moment when you're faced with that, it does absolutely bolster your team and make them rally. As you said, they were all in the lobby trying to take these phone calls and defend the practice, etc. But when that had all calmed down and the dust had settled, what effect did that have on the team morale and their mental health? I think a lot of it, there were moments where people have to kind of step aside and have a moment to cry it out in the corner or talk to family or not come in for the day or or whatever that is for that person. But the amount of love from the entire world, not only just Northern New England here or in Maine in this kind of single state, it was across the country, it was across the world the phone calls, the cards, the food. I don't think the staff has eaten so much, so much delicious snacks that we did for like a week and a half that it it was truly inspiring to be a part of this veterinary community as a whole that people can see it for what it is. You know, we are going to rally behind each other as we have to. We have to be in this together to support one another and to to know and remind each other, you did save a life. You did provide the very best care that we can. And yeah, we need to stop treating each other like this. I never once thought I'd be trending on Reddit, (laughs) Um, but I did. (laughs) But I think, you know, there certainly are things that you learn from it. Sure, there are challenges and new policies that come up. And we don't want to say that we can't do this in the future, but it certainly does make you worry about our surrenders or our being signed over or going to a rescue, a good option. And this happens across the country and around the world. You know, I've talked to several people that they've also then kind of brought up their own policies within their hospital or things to think about ahead of time. And so I think internally here, it felt a little bit a sigh of relief as the phone calls were dying off for the next couple of days and that things were maybe going to get back to normal and there'd be one or two still popping up. But the focus on the sheer love and support, our walls were just plastered with cards from people and posters and things like that. And so it, I think to me that that meant the most from all of us, you know, not just for myself, but really, truly supporting the entire team since, you know, every, every person, if they could get linked somehow on social media, they were getting hit on their own personal pages as well. It's a, it's a sad thing that happens, you know, on social media and, and whatnot without having that context a lot of the phone calls were not coming from Maine. They were coming from botted services or technology, computer-driven phone calls. I talked to one individual in his mom's basement in Texas. All afternoon, he called hundreds of times. And it's hard. I mean, but what are we doing? What is that helping and what is that solving? Yeah, unfortunately, there's a lot of keyboard warriors out there. And yeah, probably a lot of them do need to get out of their mom's basement and touch grass and maybe see some daylight. 
I think, you know, globalization is always put down as a bad thing. But if there's one good thing that's come out of globalization, making the world smaller, is, is this type of thing that you can get and feel that support from across the world. You know, the news, once it hits, it goes global. And everyone from, like you said, America, North America, Canada, across to Europe and Australia will know about this within 12 to 24 hours. Now, they'll know about it. And as well as, well as the abuse you're going to get from everyone in every, every quarter of the world, you're also going to get support. And especially you're going to get support from those in the veterinary industry because we... 100% understand what you're going through and that this probably has happened to us or we understand how easily this could happen to us. And so I'm so proud that you got all that support from the industry because it's a relatively small industry if you think about it globally compared to some, it's tiny. And yet they, people went out of their way to send you stuff and to just wish you well. And I think that's fantastic. And that's that's what the profession should be about at the end of the day. Yeah, definitely. And I think it did really show that, you know, that we are all in this together. The industry is small, but large, and we just have to stick together. I mean, we had donuts shipped in from from California from someone that was like a resident made with somebody else. So it really was a really powerful situation on that that flip of it and you're right yes ours went mega viral but it happens every day unfortunately to somebody uh and it doesn't seem to have really gotten any better even though you know we tried really hard and I've been trying really hard to spread some awareness and we've been working really closely with Nambi or not one more vet to be able to provide resources out there for the community as a whole if this is happening. So how do you turn off Google reviews or how do you reach certain people to, to get the support that you need? Because you may not have a communications department or you may not be able to think that these resources out there, I had no idea they were out there. So now we've kind of put a crisis folder together and have a team of people that can reach out and provide whoever is unfortunately going through something like this, the resources that they need as quickly as possible. That's that's great, because as you say, there's so many practices across the world that wouldn't know if this hit, what on earth do you do first? How do you deal with this? We, you, you know, in an, I think generally in America, practices tend to be larger than even in the UK. And we don't, you know, we, we have a marketing department that are higher up in some other part of the country, but they can't turn on a dime and respond to this within minutes. We have to do it on the ground. People coming to the door, the phone, 3,000 phone calls in an afternoon. So to have a crisis pack like that, that people can, can dip into and you, you can share amongst vet practices globally is just fantastic. It's such a good idea. I presume you must have had clients stood up for you publicly as well to defend you and help you over that time. Yeah, we did hear from quite a few of our routine clients, even people that had never been here before, but were sitting in the parking lot waiting for their pet to be seen. They either were finding out about it in the moment, or they had seen it recently. And they were also very supportive and just saying, we're here and we know. And so that I think also spoke a lot to the hospital and the team, as well as the community that a lot of this hate was coming from other places. It's outside of the states, outside of New England. The people that are here truly know what we're about and the care that that's being provided by the team as a whole. And so I think that that was also a really nice reminder for the staff that was going through it as well. You know, we had long-standing internal medicine clients emailing in to say, hey, we've been with you for years and, you know, we would never think twice about anything like if you need anything, let us know and with their love and support. And so I think that it was also very um, powerful and that that was being spread amongst the team whenever someone got a note like that. I think that's really, really important that actually some of your longstanding clients stood up for you as well, because I think that's the problem as a profession and many other professions suffer this. But once your reputation takes a hit from false negative reviews and false social media exposure that's all wrong and inaccurate, that can take some real time to come back from. Let's say, you know, if you're 100 percent back to how you were pre this incident, how close to that do you think you are at the moment in terms of recovery? 
I think we have. I think that, you know, we have worked hard to try to find all the little cracks, things, like you said, things that I and my team with that does work with our communications had, had no idea you could possibly do. I didn't know that you could effectively change the description of your, like whatever the service is, like it could be the movie theater, it could be a veterinary practice. You know, you pull up Google and it says veterinarian or whatever as like the subject that they can change it. It doesn't have to be you as a company because ours was changed to a morgue for a while. How to find all those little pieces. So I think at this point, being a year out, it's done. Again, it kind of came back to once those things stopped and those phone calls stopped happening, we could focus back on the patients that need us and the people that need us. And it's been a really, a really good chapter moving forward. I kind of jokingly say it comes up occasionally with interviews or whatnot for staff and and they're like, well, how did you guys do, you know, with with that situation last June? And and I kind of say like, oh, we're doing great. It'd be great when we could just stop talking about it all all together. And it'll be like 15 years in the past. But I think that it did really bring, you know, the team together and remind us that we're all doing something really important for all of these families, never mind their pets every day. What positive things have come out of this? I presume it has made your team much stronger now, has it? Yeah, I think so. I think that they are strong. I think that they do really fully believe in what they're what they're doing as far as a practice of medicine and providing the care for their for the patients that need us in this area. You know, several people in the hospital, as with myself, are helping or working with not one more vet to really help support communities as well as across the globe and how can we have those resources available. So I do think it's also given people some of that importance. You know, what is our passion and what is what are the things that we've learned that we can then change on to the next generation or provide support to the unfortunately the next individual that has to go through something like this, which doesn't have to be even in veterinary medicine. Yeah, and I was going to say, you've mentioned a couple of things, but are there any other things that you feel you've learned from this, going through this horrendous incident? And also, if anything, do you wish that anything could have been done differently? I don't think I would have done anything differently in that moment, because I do believe we did what we needed to do, both from what our profession is, is our goal, as well as providing the support that the family truly asked for. Sure, I guess we could certainly have released medical records or a statement ahead of time um, or in that moment, but I'm not sure with the specific group of people that were asking for it, if it would have helped and it may have made things worse. And so I don't know if that's the right or wrong thing. I I think for us, we need to stay true, true to ourselves and remember bullying the bully doesn't get us anywhere. We need to stay above board with that and stay stay true to who we are as as a as each individual as a person and as a you know a specialty or as a, a a profession of veterinary medicine. I think for myself, I am a little bit more hesitant with some of these things, and I can say we've probably only had one other uh, potential surrender since then. And it worked out. It wound up staying with the family as the goal always is. But, you know, I think it does certainly raise a lot of awareness, at least internally, that kind of gives you a little bit of that sticking gut feeling of, oh, gosh, is this the right decision, which is hard. You know, we want to make sure that we are supporting the the families and their pets. And I think for myself, trying to spread awareness for what those financial preparedness is it's not necessarily trying to figure out a resource in an emergency because it might be too late by then so how can we start thinking about those things ahead of time and spreading that education what the truly the cost of veterinary medicine is which none of us like like you said we would give it away for free if we could uh it's just not possible and I think that was one of the main reasons I, I really invited you on was to try and broaden the conversation to use, I suppose, this horrible incident and this case as a stepping stone to then discuss wider issues about how we can help the situation. I mean, I've got to say, as a starting point, the statement that was put out by your practice was 
amazing. It's on my Instagram and I will put a link to it on this episode's description. It addressed every point and it details exactly what happened and the fantastic way that your team and your staff dealt with what is a very emotional and difficult situation for all concerned. So special cakes and donuts to your marketing team. Whoever wrote that was, I mean, amazing. I want to shake the hand. That's just fantastic. But apart from the statement, what message, if any, would you send to, to those people, those rightly what you called them bullies that sent all that abuse your way? I think it really, at this point, I you know, I kind of stick to, we can't really bully the bully. So there's no point in being negative or nasty is to just let's treat people like people and be kind to one another. If you don't have all the information, let's let's try to make sure that we are giving the benefit of the doubt or not assuming bad intent and trying to really remember that we're all in this for the for the better, right? We're in this together regardless of what that family is choosing. If that was ultimately the decision that was made was to euthanize and as hard as that is, that I support them in that. You know, I support all of us as a field. We don't love that either, but we don't want the pet to continue to suffer. And so I think that my thing certainly is, and I think it's very applicable to lots of the world and lots of, of happenings that are going on in the last several years. Let's be kind, you know, let's, let's love each other and be supportive and, move forward and maybe clicking on your computer or on whatever surface is probably not necessarily helping anything because it's certainly not solving why you're upset or or what that is without having all that information. And I think that was a very important point that you made there about not assuming or making presumptions, even when you read very biased reports about things, not to make assumptions or presumptions about bad intention especially when it involves an industry or a profession like veterinary medicine that is that runs on goodwill love and caring that's all any of us who work in this profession do we wouldn't go into it if we didn't this is the animal advocate interview we are all animal advocates at the end of the day and as you just said even if an owner decides that in certain circumstances, euthanasia might be the only option, as hard as that is for us sometimes when perhaps there's another route that could be viable, we have to sometimes agree with the owner that, that okay, this is the situation and this is what needs to happen. And as the animal's advocate, that is absolutely the worst situation that we can possibly be in. And the amount of trauma that causes us, I think, is often overlooked as well. Yeah. And I think that that's something that a lot of people, you know, even yesterday I had a family say to me, I don't know how you do this every day, but I think that that's part of the education and the awareness that we try as a, as a profession to bring to the world is that we don't want to either, but we don't want them to suffer. We want them to be loved and comfortable and supported and if they can't have the quality of life or have the the things that they love to do that aren't possible anymore, is that what's best? Maybe it's not. And that's an okay to thing to talk about, like you said, under the right circumstances. But it is a it is a burden and it is a challenge for us to do that and to be a part of those decisions every single day. Sure, there are aspects of it that it is good that they don't necessarily have them being our pets don't necessarily have to go through some of the suffering that happens in people. But at the same time, it is a really challenging part to be in that final decision and carrying that around with you probably several times a day, all day, every day. Like I said, one of the main reasons I wanted you on here was to, to, to do this. Exactly this is to raise awareness of these situations and perhaps talk about some of the ways that we can help this not go down this route in the future. But what listeners are probably screaming out right now is, Judy, ask them how the dog is now. How is the dog, which was called Jax, I believe, which is a little weird because my last dog was called Jax. But how is Jax doing now? Please tell me you've got an update for us. Yes, he is happy and healthy and being a crazy full-grown boy. Fantastic. It couldn't have ended better for Jackson. That's the important thing for us. 
Now, I want to just broaden the conversation a little bit to perhaps just try and find some resolutions to some of the issues that this case threw up. For pet owners who are listening, what do you think some of the best things they can do to to ensure that they can always provide the best medical care for their pet in conjunction with their vet? Yeah, I think a lot of it is starting those conversations early and everyone's situation is going to look a little bit different. That's totally okay. But as a family, if you know you want to be, you know, prepared for this unfortunate emergency that could maybe never happen, I think some of it is, you know, talking about pet insurance, talking about a way to prepare some financial resource just in case. And so is that, you know, I've had families talk about if they have like a separate little bank account and it doesn't have to have a ton of money, right? Like, but just have a little bit of something or, you know, they have looked at things like Care Credit or Wells Fargo or various different financial options that can be um, used in those situations that give you a little bit more of a break than, you know, your credit card or something like that, because it is hard, you know, not, no, none of us want to be, have to face a potential invoice or estimate that looks like that. We all go through it all the time, whether it be your house or your car or whatever, but how can we kind of prepare for the things that we don't want to happen and hope that they don't, but trying to prepare for them rather than scramble for them, I think makes it a little bit easier and less stressful for for that family as a whole. I do think in, in our community here, we are trying to certainly open conversations about things like insurance and how people can have have that a little bit of a prepared avenue rather than having an emergency situation where insurance isn't going to be an option, unfortunately. And and so I think whether that be the very beginning of establishing care with your primary care vet at your puppy visit or a newly adopted rescue or whatnot, starting those conversations early rather than hoping that we catch it before something could happen, we're faced with the situation. We're now in a circumstance where I'm getting this big estimate. I really want to be able to do these options or at least try to give my pet these options. And so to have the emergency plan, which is the stuff that you can't prepare for, right? It's not, it's not the annual vaccines or the, or the heartworm preventative or things like that, that you can kind of plan out a little bit better. Um, And so I think some of that as well as understanding the costs, you know, it's, it's not just saying, well, it could cost this amount of money, but comparing it to human medicine, I think we are doing a better job in the last several years of understanding the cost of medicine. It's a lot and it's hard. We are lucky that with our health insurance as people, we don't necessarily even see our whole bill, but it is fascinating if you request it, how expensive medicine truly is. Yeah, and I think that's only put under the microscope even more here in the UK because obviously we're very lucky enough to have the NHS, the National Health Service. So nobody will see a bill if they go to hospital or they're hit by a car and they go to hospital and they have to have major surgery, CT scans, MRIs, broken legs. They're not going to ever see a bill. They're never going to know that that costs the NHS £150,000. Yeah, And so they have no concept of how much medicine costs, whereas I think in the, the States, the North America, you're much more aware of that. So you'd think it would be more that those owners over there would be more inclined to go, do you know what? Medicine actually costs a lot of money. I really should get some insurance. I think people have become more and more aware of this insurance. And and as you say, I open those conversations very early in the, in a pet's life because you and I, you as the owner and I as the vet, the thing I do not want, the thing that will keep me awake at night is that I'm now stood across a table from you saying to fix your dog, it's going to cost £5,000 and you don't have £5,000 and you also don't have insurance. So what the heck are we going to do? And I can scrabble around all day long, begging, pleading management, pleading referral centres to reduce the cost, but it ain't going to happen it's going to need to be paid for by someone. And unfortunately, that someone is you as the owner. Now, I think the sooner that conversation is started and the sooner people understand that, yes, you need insurance to cover stuff like that, the safer and the less anxiety everyone's going to have. Because like you said, it's part of being a responsible pet owner 
if you're going to get a pet, you have to work out, can I afford to feed it? Can I afford to house it? And the most important thing is, can I actually afford to fix it when it gets broken? Because it's going to happen at some point. And yeah, if you don't do that, or you're in for a world of heartache, as is everyone involved, unfortunately. I think you know, certainly part of it is, just as you said, not only is the family up at night stressed about it, so are we. You know, we don't want to be in that situation. And yeah, I think a lot of insurance companies here for people are starting to show you the whole invoice and then what the insurance covered. But I could say probably almost on a weekly, I have someone, I give an estimate for an MRI for a dog and I have somebody who says, well, I I got an MRI last week and I only had to, it was only a thousand dollars. It was just like, well, it was a thousand dollars for you, but your insurance company definitely spent a lot more money on it. <laughs> I think the more openness and the more transparency there is, the better things can, can only get, hopefully. Now, we talked about insurance, and obviously that puts the the responsibility of that onto the pet owner. But as an industry, there must be things that we can do as well. And I'm thinking things like payment plans that we can provide and things like that. And also, let's talk about the cost of veterinary medicine, the cost of veterinary services, because we get a lot of abuse on the daily about the cost of, of how much it is for veterinary medicine. But you and I are not directly responsible for these costs. Medicine, as we've discussed, is expensive. Veterinary medicine, like human medicine, is advancing at a heck of a pace that we have to keep up with. And those things, unfortunately, cost money. Pharmaceutical companies are putting millions, if not billions, globally into making new drugs and new treatments. And they're not going to give those away for free. So we get charged for it. Then that gets passed on to the owner. But is there a way that we can ease this process at all? I know. I think that's the great question. And and I wish I had the answer for it. I think a lot of it is going to be awareness and those continued conversations and discussions. And I think finding a tactful way to kind of show both things, you know, this is what a C-section costs in people. This is what a C-section costs in veterinary medicine. I know that it's still a lot of money for your bulldog who needs to have the C-section done emergently, but it is still a fraction of the cost and being able to kind of like show those hand in hand. But it does, I mean, like you said, payment plans are an option, but there are also the kind of that stress too, because then they don't get paid or, you know, it opens up an avenue for, are we still providing the best care and the best resources? And it's challenging. There isn't, I don't think a picture perfect answer yet, short of, having a global insurance plan, like you're saying, that also wraps in all of our pets and no one ever sees an invoice, (laughs) which we can all hope for, but I don't think that that's happening anytime soon. No, sadly not. And I think the comparison you bring up between human medicine costs and veterinary medicine costs is an important one. And if you can get something that people can relate to, then I think they have a better understanding. And then it just diffuses and calms down, takes some of the heat out of the conversation. I'll give you a couple of examples. One is I had somebody not screaming exactly, but loudly talking at me across the consult room table about how much vets get paid and it's disgusting and all this money that you're taking. And I got to the point in the conversation where I actually told him what I earn and he couldn't believe it. He, I don't know what he did for a living, but he said, I'm, I earn three times that. And I said, I, I believe this is probably the end of the conversation. And so have a good day. Because it's it's absurd that people think that many vets, you know, drive Rolls Royces and bathe in champagne every night. And I can assure you I'm not. Yeah. And again, it's the assumption, like you said earlier, we're assuming those things without even considering loans and the debt that you got into to be having this conversation with this individual. Exactly. And the second example is that I try and give comparisons or analogies that, like I said, that people can relate to. So in my own life, my car the parking sensors have stopped working, which is fine. I, I survived without parking sensors for many years. So I'm I'm coping. I can still park. It's fine because I have mirrors and eyes. However, I would like to kind of get them fixed because it's a really annoying beep every time I put the car in reverse. It just reminds me that my parking sensors aren't working and it's really irritating. But I went to the garage and I asked the dealer, how much is it going to cost to fix this? And they said, well... 
we're not sure what the problem is exactly. We know they're not working, but where in the system is it not working? We need to do some diagnostics, which, of course, I'm familiar with that. That's fine. I have to do diagnostics at work all the time. So I said, OK, that's fine. How much are the diagnostics likely to cost? Now, bear in mind, the diagnostics are them plugging in a machine to my car and reading some error codes, not having to put a muzzle on a chihuahua, get a nurse to hold it, risk my life and my fingers to get a blood and then send it to the lab and then find time to, you know, you know, you see where I'm going with this. It was £170 per hour of the mechanic's time to look at my car. I don't know what your charges are in your vet hospital, but we don't charge that per hour for surgery. If people can't understand that comparison and where I'm coming from, I don't know what 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 else I can do to get them to understand that our costs are somewhat less than everything else that are in the out in the world. Yeah, for sure. I saw a neuro ophthalmologist myself as a human several years ago. Sure, very specialized. I waited three hours past the beginning of my appointment time to see this doctor because he's very busy. Totally get it. Which we would have certainly had a bit of complaints if that was where we were, we where we were. <clears throat> but I waited, and then I finally saw him. And I'll let you guess how long my consult time was. I'm going to say, well, we have 15 minutes, but specialists have about an hour to two. So I'm going to say you were in there 10 minutes. Yeah, probably like 12. So you're right on in there for like what felt like 45 seconds and when I got my insurance statement or my bill with thankfully my insurance covered a a chunk of it his consult fee was 917 dollars and certainly thankfully my medical insurance covered the majority of that but again I waited without complaint for three hours past my appointment time and he charges 917 dollars for 12 minutes of a quick chat and then I left and we certainly don't get to charge $917 for an hour like you said well I mean I don't know what to say to that frankly if anyone wants to abuse vets please please just listen to this have it on repeat but yeah I think here in the emergency room we quite commonly have people that that they see three people rush past someone who has been waiting and sure we don't want anyone to wait but it's a good thing if your pet is waiting a moment, you don't want to get rushed back. If I go to the ER, I don't want to get rushed back because then there's a big problem. <laughs> exactly that. Maybe that's a good place to end it. Unless you've got anything else you'd like to let the public at large who are listening, all three listeners know about. No, I think it's great. I love the conversation. And again, I think just how we can all continue to rally behind one another while we support these wonderful pets of all different shapes and sizes. Just be kind to one another and and let's do this together as a team. What you said. Got nothing else to add to that. Megan, it's been an absolute delight. Thank you so much. Pass on all my love to all your team from top to bottom that have got through this so fantastically. And that's what's great about VetMed is that when the proverbial hits the fan, and there's a lot of proverbial in this job, they all pull together. And that's the best thing about veterinary medicine, in my opinion. Yes, definitely. Well, thank you for coming on. I'll let you get back to work. Enjoy the rest of your day. All right. Thank you so much. Well, that's it for this episode. Thank you for listening. And if you do want to get in touch with me, then you can simply email me on the underdog vet podcast at gmail.com or get in touch via Instagram, where you'll find me as, yes, the underdog vet podcast. Don't forget to hit subscribe via your favourite platform. And please note that the Underdog Vet podcast is entirely independent. It's just me, Dr. Judy Puddyfoot, speaking as an individual. No affiliations with any organisations, charity or businesses are made or implied unless I specifically mention it. 